0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're doing a series on Sunday mornings about following spiritual priorities. And then on Sunday evening, we're doing a study in the book of Philippians. And we'll be doing that. It's kind of kind of neat how it worked out. I planned my series of messages before... I looked at the calendar, I planned out the weeks and the, you know, how many weeks and what we would do. And then next week when uh, our missionary, uh, Jessica Murphy, is here, and she'll be sharing with us. She won't be preaching for us, but she'll be sharing with us about what she does over there in the blessing, and my message for next Sunday morning is fulfilling the ministry of Christ, and that that's perfect to have the week that she's here. It's cool that it lined up that way. And today, we're going to have our, our annual meeting for our members this afternoon, and and this passage that we're looking at speaks to the body of Christ, the local church. And it says, this is why you exist. This is what you're supposed to do. And so it's, it's cool that it lines up with the, the activity of the day. So, uh, I know that God knew the calendar and everything before I was putting my stuff together. And I think he fit it together for us, uh, very nicely. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, today we're looking at you are called to truth, love, and ministry. You are called to truth, love, and ministry. And so let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets. Now pause right there. We believe that the apostles ended with John... Uh, And John was the eldest apostle. He was alive probably into his mid-90s to late 90s. He lived a long and full life, even though probably when he was in his 70s, he was boiled in oil. He still lived into his 90s. Uh, John was one tough guy. And he served the Lord, and even in exile, God spoke through him to give us the book of Revelation. And John wrote part of the scripture, the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote it for us to challenge us and encourage us. But he was the last of the apostles. The apostles were the ones who'd seen Christ, who'd walked with Christ, who'd ministered with Christ, and, the, and then possibly the the Paul, who's also called an apostle, he spoke to Christ when Christ was in heaven, a direct interaction with Christ. And so those guys aren't here anymore. So we follow the teachings of the apostles, but we do not have apostles. Some churches do, but the churches that do count on new revelation. The apostles are revealing new truth from God. Okay, I've heard messages and sermons that have shared old truth in a new way that helped me apply it to my life. But if somebody comes along with brand new truth, you kind of walk away. Maybe don't even walk, run. Okay, that's scary because God's revelation is complete in the Scripture. In fact, Paul said, uh, where there are prophecies, they will cease. And the word of knowledge, it'll vanish away. And then he said, and now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. The greatest of these is love. Uh, he, it, it was, he was writing as if it was already done. There were no new apostles coming on the scene. There were no new prophets coming on the scene because the prophecy had been revealed in Scripture. So when we're reading here, we have to read this in the first century context. As Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, there were apostles, there were prophets. And so he says, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Now the continuing ministries that we have here are some evangelists. Our church helps to support two evangelists, Teru Marshall, uh, he's going to be with us next month, and Pete Rice who was just with us a couple of months ago and we support them in their worldwide evangelism and their outreach and and we partner with them and because God has given to the church evangelists and then it says and some pastors and teachers some translations say pastor hyphen teacher the truth is all pastors are supposed to be teachers, but not all teachers are called to be pastors. We have some people who are called to teach and some called to be a pastor and teacher. And and look, he gave these to the church, so I'm God's gift to you. Just, just, just saying. No. Okay, you got to watch out for the guys who really think they're God's gift to you too, okay? <laughs> That's a little bit scary. But... Pastors have enriched my life, their teaching and their preaching and their ministry have helped me and it's a blessing and an amazing privilege and kind of a scary responsibility to serve as a pastor and have that opportunity to speak and encourage and counsel people in the word of God. And so here's the reason why God equipped the church so they could hear the truth not only privately as they read the scripture, but also publicly in a setting just like this where we gather together and we focus on the word. Here's why he did it. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. That's building up the saints. That's encouraging them. My brother-in-law sent me a video years ago uh, he is actually—he uh, uh, works on planes, and he can strip jet engines apart, and he can strip cabins apart. He can—he can fix anything on any plane his company has, and he, he's done a lot of work of it. But he sent this one, and it was about guys assembling planes in the air. You know, and this frame is flying, and these guys are hanging off on strings, and they're attaching engines and wings and seats and putting it all together while it was in the air. And they talk about how special it was to, to be part of the team that assembled in the air. Okay, that's just a joke, by the way. Couldn't happen. But we mature on the fly, don't we? We don't sit and soak it in and grow and mature and, okay, now we go out. It's a constant process of infusion, adaption. Infusion, adaption. We're taking it in and then we're putting it to work in our life. So for the equipping of the saints, and why are we equipping the saints? For the work of the ministry? So if somebody asks you, how many ministers does Victory Baptist Church have? You can say, we got about a hundred of them. No, wow. Well, everyone is a member. And every, I mean, everyone is a minister. Everyone should be a church member somewhere, but everyone is a minister. You are called to be a minister for Jesus Christ. You are called to represent him and serve in his place. So for the work of the ministry, and notice also, ministry is work. One of the things when uh, Tim and Clorinda were talking about uh, Awana, a lot of the work takes place long before the Awana night. We have different leaders in every club planning a Bible-centered, Christ-centered, gospel-addressing message to challenge the young people to commit their lives to Christ and then follow Him in obedience. And we do that in every club on Thursday night. And then we have... Uh, the, the, they're praying and they're studying and they're working and they're preparing and, and the secretaries are doing the administrative stuff to get it all up to speed so that it goes smoothly on Thursday nights. The work, ministry is work, but it's also a great blessing. God, omnipotent God, says you get to help represent him on planet Earth. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was... Only in for a few years, I rose to the rank of sergeant, which at the time seemed incredibly impressive. But, you know, the older I am, I was a lowly sergeant. Uh, and and I, I was a sergeant, but for a while, I was working for the battalion XO, the executive officer of the battalion, who was a major. And so I could call a captain on the phone and tell the captain, hey, you need to straighten this out. The major major says so. So you got to deal with it. And I could even go over there and show them how to correct things. Not because I was a three striper, but because I served the major. And you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his minister. And sometimes the people you interact with, you might be the only Christian they ever see. You might be the best Christian they ever see. So we're all called to the work of the ministry. That's the role of the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, which if you've never heard that phrase, the body of Christ is his church. Uh, His church is his body. He's the head. We are the body of Christ as we serve and minister for him. For the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So he wants us all to grow and mature and and gain wisdom and knowledge and be able to serve him. Till we all come to that level, to the measure of, well, I skipped over, to a perfect man. And perfect doesn't mean just perfect, uh, sinlessly perfect. Perfect means complete. So we all become complete or perfect or whole in our spiritual understanding. Every single one of us. And by the way, that includes you kids. God wants you to become full of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. He wants you to grow to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, you know, what, what's easy for us to do? We compare ourselves to who we used to be. And for some of you, that might, not be, that might be a tough comparison. For me, that's easy. I was not a good person, and, and I had lots of baggage when I came to Christ. But, thank the Lord, he forgives. But if you compare yourself to who you used to be, you're looking pretty good, right? Maybe you compare yourself to other people. Well, hey, I mean, look, I'm not pointing at anyone, okay? I'm pointing at the door. I'm not pointing at Mark, just clarify. I'm pointing at the door, okay? Well, compared to him, yeah, I'm looking pretty good. He says, don't compare yourself to other people. What you do is you compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And all right, now when you compare yourself to Christ, how many of you think you got some room for improvement? Yeah. And let me tell you, if you don't think you got room for improvement, you are weird and deceived or disoriented because... We all have room for improvement. And so our goal is not to become the best me I can be, but to become closer to Christ, to grow in my relationship with him, to grow even in my likeness to him, so that I might represent him well on planet Earth. That's our goal. So, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Sometimes you can mess with kids' brains, right? You could tell them things wrong in fact there was a dad they ended up taking his kids away thankfully he he got surgery to alter his face and then he only taught his boys klingon he didn't teach him english or anything else he was homeschooling them in klingon warrior i'm glad they didn't let the kids stay with him but you could you could mess with a kid when they're little You know, you have to tell them this is left. Well, it's my left, it's your right, right? Uh, But you could tell them, no, this is right, and this is left, and that is up, and that is down. And you could tell them the when the thing shines in the day, that's the moon. And the little one that shows up at night, that's the sun. Would kids, little kids, would they know the difference? No. And see, that's what some false teachers do. They come in and manipulate or they'll say, well, in the original Hebrew, what this meant was. Uh, I, I was listening. Please don't ask me why. I have no idea why I was doing this. But 40 years ago, I was listening to a uh, a guy. Uh, <laughs> Transcendental meditationist. He was the Maharaji Yogi or something. And, and I was listening to him and he quoted scripture and then abused that scripture. And he then quoted another scripture, and then abused it. He wasn't putting it together. He wasn't taking it in context. He wasn't trying to understand. He was trying to deceive. Now, I think probably he was honest, but he himself was deceived. The Bible says Satan can uh, put thoughts in your hearts and in your heads and and can deceive people. And so I think he was deceived, but the way he looked at the scripture was so bad. And so here he's saying, don't have such an immature understanding of God's word that false teachers can easily lead you astray. You have to grow in your understanding, grow in your appreciation of it. And then he says, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Oh, they, oh, I learned this new thing. Oh, I learned that new thing. Oh, I learned that. And they just run all over the place. You know, kids are like pinball machines sometimes. And, and so are immature people who don't understand God's word. They just bounce around from one thing to another. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, verse 15, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You are called to truth love, and ministry. Now, if you want to use it, there's a note sheet in your bulletin. You don't have to use it. You can if you want. But I want to look at a couple of things that God expects you to do in light of this passage of Scripture. And then also that the several things, there's no room for this. Okay? So the first thing is that God expects you to minister to others. God expects you to minister to others. The whole reason why we have services like this, why we have pastors and evangelists and teachers serving is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Because God expects you to be ministering to somebody or multiple somebodies. So if I asked you, and I'm not, okay, don't jump up and yell off your answer. But if I asked you, what did you do last week to minister to somebody else? And you can't think of something, then do better this week, okay? Think of somebody you can minister to this week. Now, if you're a mom and you have kids still at home, you kind of have a built-in ministering to others every day. Try and expand it beyond your own kids, beyond your own family, minister to somebody. It could be a simple thing. Give them a ride. Listen to them. There's a lot of lonely people out there. And if you will listen to somebody, that means something to them. And, and you know, if you're in the middle of talking to somebody and you can see they've zoned out or they pick up their phone... And they start punching things in and start talking to somebody else while you're talking. Okay, they've tuned out. We, we are called to minister to others. Who's our example? Jesus. I, I By the way, I was talking to Jessica Murphy on the phone and, and I was talking to her about how much I appreciate her ministry and from the time she was a teenage girl when I met her, I thought she, she reminded me of my wife Kathy, that she really had a heart for God. And I could just see that in Jessica. And I thought, I was excited to see what she was going to do with her life. And now she's a missionary and we get to support her. And that's totally cool. I think it's great. So I told Jessica that I was going to tell you guys that if you can't be like Jesus, at least be like Jess. She said, don't do that. So now you can all tell her, I told you that, okay? (laughs) But the truth is, Jesus is our example. So in the Bible... We see Jesus walking along. What happens when someone comes up to talk to him? He stiffs arm him and keeps on going, right? I'm about the Father. He stops and listens. And even in one case where he tells the lady, uh, she wants his help and he said, no, I'm not, you know, she was a Gentile and he was, he, he used it as a teaching tool, but he said, I'm not going to help you my message, my ministry is to the house of Israel and uh, I have to give food to the children. And she said, yeah, but even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus stopped and he listened. When people touched him, he listened. When they had a need, which kind of seems funny, doesn't it? There's blind guys yelling, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. So he walks up to guys that are blind and he says, what would you like me to do? That I may receive my sight, you know? And we kind of think, duh. But listen, if you really want to help somebody, start by asking what you can do. I've had people several times trying to help me and do something that ended up not helping me. In fact, Megan would panic if I decided I was going to help her and do all the filing and reorganize the office for her. She would panic because she wants it done right. <laughs> She's never said that, by the way. But All right, God expects you to minister to others. Secondly, God expects you to become a mature and committed participant in the work of Christ. He expects you to become a mature and committed participant participant in the work of Christ. Uh, We're all called for the work of the ministry. We're all called to the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We're all each supposed to be maturing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He expects you to become mature. So... We got the Miller family on the front row. This, that Miller family. Mollet family on the front row. <laughs> Sorry about that. Miller family over there. Mallet. Oh, the Miller family's on the back row, but that's the short back row. It's like midway. <laughs> I'll get back on track. Don't worry. Okay, we got the Mollet family here. How old are you, Ben? 16. He's driving. Pray for the world. How old are you, Jerry? 10? Kimmy? 8. 16, 10, and 8. And no trouble at all for their parents at this mature age, right? <laughs> all right? Listen, do you think John has expects more out of Ben than he does out of Jerry? Would that be re- a reasonable expectation? Yes. He would even expect Ben to drive better than Jerry does <laughs> Jerry's not driving <laughs> uh, but but listen, God expects the same thing, and you know, we just had a grand new brand new grandchild grand new grandchild uh born this morning, and so babies are. Everybody says babies are so cute. I think it takes a couple of weeks before they get cute myself. But, you know, they're holding this brittle bee baby. And, you know, what does a baby do? They You have to change their diaper. You have to feed them. You have to burp them. They don't know that they have to not swallow air. You know, they, they haven't learned this stuff. And and they'll grab anything and want to put it in their mouth. And you have to teach them, no, no, leave the electrical outlet alone. You know? And But God expects his people to grow up just like we expect babies to grow up. I remember when Savannah was born. And of course, according to her mother and father, she was one of those adorable children immediately at birth. Didn't have to take a couple of weeks. But, okay, we grow and we mature. And what happens sometimes, sometimes people get saved and they get saved and they grow a little bit. And then they just like this plateau, they just stay right there for years and years and years. Or sometimes they get saved and they really grow, and then they go backward a little, and they grow again, and they go backward a little, and they grow again, and they go backward a little. All right, here's the trajectory you should be on: you get saved, and then you grow, and maybe plateau, and grow, and plateau, and grow, and you you develop this cycle of growth because God wants everybody to become a mature and committed participant in the work of Christ. Every single believer. Okay, so the goal for the church of Christ, the goal he gave us is not numerical, but spiritual growth. He doesn't necessarily, I want your church to grow to a thousand, although there are some good churches that have a thousand in them. There's also some really crazy churches that attract people by using non-biblical methods and those biblical. They they grow like crazy. Gary and I were talking about that at 1 o'clock in the morning the other day. We were driving down the road together, coming back from the VA hospital, and we were talking about some of these churches that have huge followings, they're not teaching the truth of God's Word. So people are really comfortable to go there and not do anything, not be called to change their life and, and grow and mature. But God's goal for His church is not numerical, but spiritual growth. Hey, I'm glad we added a new member today. I'm even glad it was Gary. <laughs> I like him. Uh, I like everybody who's here. I, I, there's no one here that I have not yet learned to dislike. So, I should have kept my mouth shut, shouldn't I? <laughs> oh. See, we all have room for growth, right? All right, here's the thing. There is no room for self-promotion. No room for self-promotion. You are called to serve others, not to build up followers for yourself. In fact, Paul challenged the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts when he was meeting with them, and he said, some of you will gain, try and have followers and disciples after yourself. And that's not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is we all follow Jesus. We just help each other in the process of following him. No room for self-promotion. All right, second big th- th- group of thoughts here. God expects you to have a well-developed understanding of what the Bible teaches and to know how to apply it in your own life, to know how to apply it to your own life. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We should have a mature understanding, a well-developed understanding of God's Word. How does that happen? Well, you buy these amazing tapes, and then you play them while you're sleeping, and your subconscious mind absorbs this truth. Maybe we should cut that out of the message uh, online. But the truth is, it happens by hard work. It doesn't come easy. Now, for some people, memorizing is easy. But even for those people who find memorizing the Scripture easy, it's not always easy to study and learn and grow and understand and apply. But God expects you to develop that a well-developed understanding. In fact, you don't have to wait until you're old to do this. In uh, Psalm 119, it says, uh, like David writing as if he were younger, said, I have more understanding than all my teachers because I follow your law. So that a kid who's following God's word can have more understanding than a teacher who's not following God's word. And God wants you to develop this. To mature in this area, I think uh, I think I shared this before. I think it's been a while, but there was a guy, when I pastored in San there was a guy in the church, and when I first met him, he's like, Pastor, I just don't know much about the Bible, but, but I'm sure glad Jesus saved me. And I'll praise the Lord, just keep coming, you'll grow and you'll mature, and, and we tried to get him involved in Sunday school so he could learn a little bit more, and, and then in church, and then three years later, I'm meeting with him, and he says the exact same words, Pastor, I just don't know much about the Bible, but I sure love Jesus, and I'm glad he saved me. I said, what have you been doing for the last three years? You're supposed to be growing. And yeah, maybe you don't know lots, lots, lots. There's lots of people that know more than I do. But we're all in the process of growing. And he wants you to develop a well-developed sense and understanding of what God's word says. So like a bank teller who handles the money, they can immediately recognize a forgery Because they have studied the real thing and learned the feel, the texture, the color, the the sense of a, a forgery. And most of the time, they can find one quickly, unless it's an extremely good forgery. So, God expects you to develop that understanding. Another part of this, God expects you to tune out false teachers and listen only to those who are diligently teaching the word of God in truth. When I was a kid, I liked to watch Saturday TV. It was the only time I was in charge of the channel, <laughs> till the sports came on in the afternoon. Saturday mornings, I, I would watch different things. And one morning, I was watching a, a cult leader, And he was teaching, he was sharing things from the Bible. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I was really paying attention. I was really intrigued. Wow, I didn't know the Bible taught that. Wow. And my dad walks in. He's like, what are you doing listening to him? Turn that off. And so I did turn it off. And I said, but dad, he's saying this and this. and That's not what the Bible says. And my dad got out his Bible and showed me. That's not what the Bible said. He could recognize the false teacher because he knew enough of God's word. And God expects you to turn out the false teachers. There's a lot of them. In fact, most of the time, if you Google a Bible question, most of the time, the top three responses are going to be from groups that you and I would call cults. Because they're not following the revealed word of God as it was revealed to us. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, everlasting God, born into humanity. God the Son. They don't believe that. They don't believe that Jesus has always been God, always will God. But they're publishing stuff like crazy. And some of them really invest thousands and thousands of dollars in their online presence to draw people in. So you have to be careful of what's out there and study and learn. And and listen, if you have a question, ask somebody. Ask somebody you know and trust. Ask your Sunday school teacher. Ask your Awana leader. Ask a deacon. Ask your pastor. Ask somebody you know and trust. And don't just, oh, I learned this online. Just because you saw it online doesn't mean it's true. I know that's shocking for some folks, but... There's a lot of bad stuff out there. The internet's a great tool. I I think it's wonderful how we can use it. I love having Jessica Murphy, 6,000 miles away, send us an email and I get it in a minute. I think that's really cool. I love being able to pick up the phone and talk to our missionary in Spain because he has a U.S. phone number. He can call me and we've talked on the phone, thousands of miles away. That's really cool. But the internet has some stuff that's not so cool. That's actually deadly if you follow the false teaching. So God expects you to tune out false teacher. And the only way to avoid error is to know the truth well. But the goal is not just hearing, but applying God's word to your life. In fact, most people would say the Bible says you should not steal. Most people recognize that as one of the things taught in the Bible. And yet all kinds of people think it's fine to pilfer things from the office and take it home and use it for free. And yet that's stealing. In fact, the Bible presents another type of stealing called purloining. When you're paid to do a job... And you're not working hard. You're doing less than your job. The Bible says that's stealing. So most people would recognize the Bible says you shouldn't steal. But they don't actually put it into their life. So there is no room for continuing immaturity. There's no room for continuing immaturity. God wants every believer to grow up. Hey, at some point, you, you're going to listen to some preacher and think, wow, I didn't know the Bible said that. And then you're going to learn a little more and say, oh, the Bible didn't really teach that. That was that guy's weird spin on the Bible. And God wants all of us to not choose to stay immature. I, I, I tell you, I loved having kids. Loved having kids, although I'm kind of glad Kathy went through the labor part. But I loved having kids and having them around the house and watching them grow and watching them mature. I did not want any of my kids to stay in diapers one day longer than needed. I rejoiced when they were all out of diapers. God wants His kids to get out of diapers too, He wants us to grow. There's nothing wrong with not knowing. But there's something wrong with staying there and not growing. God doesn't want us to stay immature. Continuing immaturity is the opposite of what Jesus Christ wants for the people in his church. Till we all come, till we grow, till we put the fullness of Christ and work it into our life. That's what he wants to see. All right now, one other thing, group. God expects you to speak truth with love. God expects you to speak truth with love. Now, years ago, there was a guy who uh, paraded around the country, and uh, he was a—he uh, was pro-life, but he was also anti-abortion. He was angry and attacked. He. He'd uh, protest in front of abortion centers and he'd yell and he'd scream at them. He'd, he'd try and mess with their electrical stuff to try and cut off the power to the buildings. He, he'd just loud and obnoxious. I remember watching him on TV. And at, but at this point, I was a believer and I was growing in the Lord, but I still had a lot of room for growth. In fact, I still do. But at that point, I was watching this guy and I thought, I don't think that's the kind of behavior Christ would want us to have. So I think if Christ talked to an abortion doctor, he wouldn't attack him. He would tell him life is precious, life is a gift. He, he would correct him, but he would speak the truth with love. And so this guy was attacking, and he was raising all kinds of money, and then he he shipped a lot of it offshore and he set up an offshore banking account, and then he divorced his wife and married another woman and moved into a mansion he paid for in cash from the donations people sent for his ministry. And he was not speaking the truth in love, and that should have been a sign to true believers that he's not following Jesus. Honestly, it's hard to show love to some people, isn't it? Hey, Look in the mirror. Sometimes it's hard for people to show love to you. But you want them to, don't you? So speaking the truth in love, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ. See, that's part of a sign of our growth of spiritual maturity is that we can speak the truth in love we don't have to attack people we don't have to be up people we don't have to be known as the person who don't hold nothing back we can speak the truth in love and that's what Jesus wants to see in his church go back to that one Jeff go ahead we're there now okay God expects you to help others on their journey of faith. God expects you to help others on their journey of faith. Remember a couple of months ago when I couldn't stand up and I was I was preaching on a stool and I brought this podium over here and I sat on the stool that's around the corner over there and I sat on that. And then we have a shorter stool, and I brought that shorter stool over, and I sat it somewhere around here. And then while I was sitting over here, we talked about the people on that short stool. Those are the people who have not yet trusted Christ. See, that's the way we need to view people. People who are angry against Jesus, people who yell at us, you have to say, oh, that's somebody who's not yet trusted Christ. People who are endorsing an ungodly lifestyle, they have not yet trusted Christ. So we don't attack them angrily. We present the truth in a way that can potentially convict them. See, what happens sometimes is you become the problem. Instead of letting the truth of God be the problem, you become the problem, and so they're alienated by you. And listen, if you share God's truth, and God's truth alienates people, God's okay with that. He wants his truth to go out there. But if you become the one who's alienating people, God doesn't want to see that. He wants to see you grow and mature and help other people to help them on their journey of faith Um, that we may all grow up in him from whom the whole body joined and knit together by that which every joint supplies, every person doing their part, pulling together, growing and maturing. God expects you to help others on their journey of faith. Now, this picture on the screen is somebody's showing somebody else a map. They're in San Francisco, and he's trying to direct them around San Francisco, give them the right place to go. God expects you to help others. If somebody stopped and asked you for directions, you would give it to them. Unless maybe they were asking directions to a bar. I don't know. Maybe then you wouldn't. You can honestly say, I have no idea where that bar is or maybe if you knew, anyway. God expects you to help others on their journey of faith. So it's not just about you and Jesus. It's you and them and Jesus. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one's just like that, love other people. We are to take the love of God and have it filter through our lives and go out to love other people. So that we can help bring them toward God. He expects you to help others on their journey of faith. And God expects you to become a fully functioning, mature participant in the work of Christ. Fully functioning, mature participant. Till we're all there. So we're knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effectual working by which every part does its share. Now, um, I enjoy not being in charge of Awana. I I work with the middle schoolers, with the truck group, and when I talk about them, I always point this way, because that's the room, we close those partition walls, and that's the room where we have the Bible lesson that I usually teach. And then on a good evening when it's not raining outside, we come in here for handbook time where we can spread out. Uh, but they start with games out there with Mr. Miller and uh, D- Jeff Miller doing the games out there. And, and they have fun. And then they come in here and they have a lesson and then they come in here for the handbook time. And every club has a different schedule because we only have one game circle. We we uh, take turns going out there. But but I love working with that group. But Tim and Clorinda Work with the whole club. Now they had a lot of experience in Iwana. They personally are each a citation award earner. Uh, they earned that when they were in Iwana Clubs. That's the highest award you can get in Iwana, and they each have earned that. And, but they're working and they're caring. But you know what ha- each club also has a director, which Tim and do have double duty. They direct all of our clubs and the TNT Club. But What if on one night, none of the other directors showed up? What if there was no Bible teacher for Trek and no Bible teacher for Cubbies and no Bible teacher for Sparks and Tim and Clarinda are in here and they're trying to divvy up. Okay, we got four classes, two people. What do we do? All right, we plug Savannah into one. Now we got three classes, two people. What are we going to do? See, God wants you to grow up and do your part because the body is strengthened when we each participate. And, and I know last year was a very difficult year for me, very painful, and, and really the big problem was right here. It was about an eight inch spot on my leg didn't work. Now, my whole body is a lot longer than an eight inch spot in my leg, but that spot affected everything else, and nothing worked well. Until that got replaced. And in the body. If you're not pulling your weight. The work of Christ can suffer. If you're not giving. If you're not serving. If you're not ministering. And you can minister to people I might never meet. Some of you go to classes at ASU. I don't even like to step foot on the campus. I went to the U of A. But. You're going to meet people I could never meet. Humanly speaking, I would not see them till heaven if we're all in heaven together. But you can impact their life. So God expects you to become that fully functioning person. And and God himself... Patterns that for us in 1 Peter 1.22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And on the front of your bulletin, we have grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. God has modeled what he has called us to do. So there is no room for spectators. No room for spectators. We're all supposed to be participants. When my dad was a coach, little league coach, he would always yell that to us. You don't have a spectator's pass. Get out there. Even if you were on the bench, you had to be watching the game and cheering and yelling and ready to step in. God expects us to be fully engaged and personally involved in what he's doing. That doesn't mean you have to be involved in every ministry of the church. You only have to do that if your name is Penick. Uh, But you can be involved in in other things. Uh, But he expects you to be involved. You could have a ministry that's not even here. It's not part of our church, but you're reaching people and ministering to people and caring for people. The thing is, we need you. God has chosen to use you to accomplish his will. And if you don't, that makes it harder work on everybody else. So you are called to truth, love, and ministry. It's God's calling in your life. Not just an option available to consider. It's his calling in your life. So, I just bow your heads right now. I'm, I'm not going to have a big invitation. I'm not going to try and talk you into making a decision. just want you to bow your heads. I just want you to pray between you and God. And I want you to ask the Lord. Lord, is there something I should be doing? Lord, what's the next step? in my life you just talk to the lord about that